Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. Hello and welcome to the Blackthorne Grove. This is Amy Blackthorne. This is our very first episode of the new season and new year 2023. And I wanted to make sure and let you know to listen when you're in a safe space. This is a discussion about being a well witch with Cindy Brannan and the very beginning of which does discuss themes of eating disorders. So make sure that you're careful with your energy and listen when that's appropriate. Have a great day. Bye. For those of you who are new to the podcast, blackthornsbotanicals.com has some great teas, ritual oils, magical candles, and more for the next bit. I know not everyone can get to the podcast right away. I'm going to put up a podcast only coupon code, code podcast, all lowercase on blackthornsbotanicals.com for 20% off anything you find in the store. Try and help as best I can. (laughs) And and apparently Lilu agrees. That's blackthornsbotanicals.com and offer code podcast, all lowercase. Hello and welcome to this very special episode, which is really just a chat between me and the fabulous Amy Blackthorne, who (laughs) is so wonderful. And Amy, Amy, your new book. It's so good. So Amy's new book is a guide to wellness. And really, we're going to be talking about that book and how it really complements my new book. So this is the Cindy and Amy talk about their new books um, and how you could be on the journey of being a well witch um, through shadow healing, exploring your place within having chronic illnesses and other conditions through magic it's me and amy so you know we're going to be talking about the plants and we're going to be talking about the cards and we're going to be talking about the sigils so speaking of sigils amy um, i always begin these episodes with a candle lighting ritual so we are recording this during the month of peonios so peonios is one of the chapter titles from my new book entering hecate's cave and um in my school we do the lunar months named after the the chapters in the book so this is the sigil for peonios it's like uh you know it's evocative of the sign of the zodiac cancer and also the different phases of the moon embracing us so we always do it just with a gentle counterclockwise amy and i'll invite you in to the energy of cleansing and letting go anything that might block our time together and now i'll cast us clockwise in that protective circle nourishing space as we connect to each other and just really sharing our own journeys and some of our tips on how to become a well witch. 
And our invocation for today comes from Entering Hecate's Garden. Um, and it is, I was unwanted and witchcraft was my medicine. I was left broken and witchcraft was my medicine. I fell into the abyss and witchcraft was my medicine. I walked through the fire and witchcraft was my medicine. I healed and witchcraft was my medicine. I was reborn and witchcraft was my medicine. I stand in my power and witchcraft is my medicine. Hail witchcraft. So you have, I really love your new book, Amy, so much. Um, my goodness. I'm wondering if you can offer us a quote. There's this quote in your book that talks about not being broken. And I just think, like, I want to invoke that spirit that we are not broken. Um, so really maybe you are. could read that quote for us. Absolutely. Let's set aside the pressure to get healthy and instead free ourselves to find the wellness on our own terms, whatever that looks like for us. Here's the thing, though. We aren't broken. It can feel like that sometimes, even for long stretches of time while recovering from the stress or worry du jour. But it isn't true. I won't tell you not to feel however you're feeling or whatever you're dealing with. What I can tell you is you aren't broken. I'll write you a note if you need it, but you are not broken. You are still an amazing human and deserve the best that life has to offer. Hail Hecate. Like it's just, I'm just like, that is just so powerful because I think, especially in the context of like your book, but also my, my, my new book is really more about the psychological healing. Mm -hmm. um, it, but your book is about like, kind of like a, the whole body mind experience and your book talks a lot about like when we need to engage with the mainstream healthcare system or even like the world in general um mm. that can really confuse us and make us feel like we're the broken ones when it's like these systems that are broken it really is when we look at how it defines our own journey we can, we're only in charge of so much. We still have to work within the systems that we're given. It's so true, right? And, you know, and I think I've been thinking a lot about this and that something I hear from a lot of witches is that, you know, like going out into the world and engaging in the world or even something like coming out of the broom closet or being honest about their chronic health conditions. Mm -hmm like how that is so risky. Absolutely, I talked about that in Protection Magic because it's not just where we are, it's who we are. It's such a big part of where our energy goes day to day that there isn't any way to separate the two of them. We have to do every bit of that same math, whether we're talking about delving into difficult and potentially triggering topics, or we're talking about our own physical health and how that affects our day-to-day -day life experience. And the whole thing is like, it's not us that's broken. Like no. if we have to go into places or the world in general that is intolerant, that is based on 
ridiculous ideas of what people should look like or what size they should be or the color of their skin or mm -hmm. that they should, you know, like, like all of these kind of things that are perpetuated out there, that is what's broken yes. because that's not who people actually are. We're complicated. Um, Multivalent I think beings. I heard some, somewhere that you said like 40% of people have some kind of chronic condition. Yes. Yes, indeed. And that's such a huge number. We don't think of things like diabetes as chronic conditions because they can be managed, but that doesn't mean they're any less chronic. Right. Like I have celiac disease, mm -hmm. which is an autoimmune disorder. And sometimes I'll bump into people who are like, oh, well, it just means like you can't eat wheat. And I'm like, no, it's like a, it's a chronic condition. Like it's an autoimmune disorder. It's not, like you said, it's, it's kind of like the thing with diabetes. People will do the same thing. It's like, no, this is chronic. And it's not unusual, but I think in some ways, like the whole structure that we live in is just designed to keep us in fear and make us convinced that we're broken anyway. Yeah, because we're easier to handle. And I think the most magical thing we can do on the path of becoming the well witch is just to say, I mean, once in a while it is actually us. But most of the time, it's not us, it's them. And I will tell you, like I, I've, I've told so many people since publishing Botanical Wellness, I am tired of breaking myself into little pieces to be easily digested for people who don't care anyway. Choke. Don't give them any pieces. No, you don't get any pieces. None for you. And I think that's so true. You know, and I, but I do think like walking the path of the witch and having chronic illness and i just did an episode on queerness and gender so you know for many of us we also kind of abide at that crossroads yes um so we have like the this liminal space that we live in where you know there's these intersections of things that can be that society can really other oh yeah I definitely have days where, you know, do I feel witchy enough? Do I feel queer enough? Do I feel enough to be in whatever space I'm occupying that day? And it changes from day to day. I think that's so honest. Like, and you know, I just, but you are enough, Amy. You're, a you're Amy F. and Blackthorn. You are always enough. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> you are always enough. So, yeah, I just think it's so true that we're not broken. Uh, and if the parts that were broken in the past, because I know you've been through like a horrible experience of having many of the bones in your body smashed to smithereens. Yes. Um, and I just love like your boldness, like knowing what you've been through in your life, that you like kind of lead the book with We Are Not Broken, Amy. You are a bold witch to say that after your history. Do you want to talk a little bit about? I don't mind talking about it. Okay, because I think it's really inspiring for people to hear what you've been through and just how you've navigated the whole journey to wholeness and wellness. I think it's important for context. In 2002, I was hit by a tractor trailer. I, uh, I, broke, I woke up with 
72 pins. I had broken 27 bones. I had very crunchy in little pieces. <laughs> and it's important for context. Uh, well, there, I have a story about that in a little bit. Uh, but the really important part of that journey to the self was a letting go of the expectations for who I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that was a, that was a really specific and pointed grief because I had very, I had dreams that I had really worked towards, really wanted to be a part of my life and my life experience at that point. And being told by a doctor that I didn't know and had never met that I was never going to walk again was definitely not on the list. I definitely did not plan that. Um, I didn't plan to spend the next five years relearning to walk every six months. Because every time there's a new mobility aid, every time there's a new style or test, there's there's a new way to learn how to walk. I can't. I think I lost count at this point how many times I had to relearn just to operate my own body that I had been living in for 21 years at that point. Wow. And so there's the the physical, the chronic pain that I deal with, but there's also the grief that we feel when our body betrays us because it's supposed to be the only thing that we have available to us. We're the only person who can't betray ourselves, right? Mm. So how does my body betray me in such a pointed way that is going to affect the literal rest of my life? That is so huge. And like just what you said about your body betraying you, because this is something I really struggle with. Um, Like I have celiac disease, but I also like have chronic pain conditions on top of that. And it's just like this feeling of, I want to do these things um, and my body won't let me. Mm-hmm. And for, oh, and I also have had like an eating disorder. Like I just said, I had an eating disorder most of my life because I like, I like to dip into different varieties of eating disorders, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so I just say I had an eating disorder because I've done it kind of, been through them all um, can, I, can i let stop for just a second and remind people how powerful it is that you're actually able to say those words out loud because people oh, who haven't you. dealt with it do not understand oh thank you so much i get the chill, full body chills from that because i didn't used to talk about um my eating disorder which like i said it's gone from like you know what would be clinically considered anorexia to long bulimia my best buddy in the past and um binge eating i always purge like i'm going to be 100 percent honest with you and those listening like i only like i had a laxative addiction like i could not like i took so many laxatives to control my weight um that i couldn't poop without them for years Mm -hmm. and it was only last year that i was finally able to get off of them Like, I know people don't like talking about poop, but if you've had an eating disorder, you know that this is like a big, this is a real thing that can happen. Like your body, um, and you know, so for me, when I was finally able to get off the laxatives, I was like, this is it. You finally healed from the long journey back, which had started eight years earlier. Did I ever Mm -hmm. tell you the story about, you know how sometimes like we do rituals for initiation and it's like, oh, we do all these things. And then sometimes like it's just like things happen in the universe and it's like you are initiated into a whole different way of being Absolutely. And so for me like i had been 
I was such, oh man, I mean, my whole life, so I was, oh, I'm overweight, what some people would consider overweight, you write in the book, BMI is bullshit, 100%, um, but I developed, like, I think it's called lipedema, or like, really curvy butt and big thighs, when I, mm-hmm. as soon as I had my first period, um, and, you know, like, to have that kind of disparate, be really slender on the top, and really being bootylicious um in the 80s when that was crystal from dynasty was the female norm you know like tall big shoulders you know what i mean so i felt really weird and so i was like as soon as that happened was when i first started to like purge and do all kinds excessive exercising so this goes back to that then that i so when i say i've had an eating disorder my whole life i'm like i have And then we were in Disney World and I have like all these dietary restrictions like celiac and other things. And we were getting to Disney World, so funny, Amy, with my sons. And um, one of them said, we went to order, it was counter service. I think we were in like the Wild West or I don't don't remember where we were, but we were at one of those counter service places and um, I wasn't gonna eat because I never ate at these places, I never ate. Like at this point, I was pretty deep into the I don't eat, you know, so into that kind of flavor of eating Mm -hmm. disorder. Um, And one of my sons said to whoever was the counter service attendant said, asked me if I wanted anything. And I was like, no, no, that's fine. They're hungry, you know. And one of my sons said, oh, she has celiac disease and a bunch of food issues. And the counter service attendant said, wait right here. He went out back, got some kind of magical person from the back who came up with a binder. I love the binders. And went around the counter, went to me. Maybe he was like, that poor woman is starving. She's like a size double zero because someone's got to do something for her. Um, And went through and I had like a hamburger, french fries, and a Brownie. Couldn't and, brownies the best. <laughs> counter service. Like this isn't gourmet food. But to me, like who had I mean literally at this point I hadn't had carbs for so like I just was not eating at this point. Um and I was like reborn in that moment. I was like, I can finally I can do this. I can develop a healthy relationship with food because food is awesome. I don't recommend burgers, fries, and brownies for every meal. I eat very healthy, but, but that was like, and that was like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. So it's been that long of recovery and really only in the last six months or so that I've even started talking about it because it was just so deep and personal. And I think there's also the thing, Amy, like, I mean, you and I talk about really hard things. Yeah. And it's because we've experienced them. And I always kind of felt like if I admitted that I had all these challenges, it would diminish my authority to say the things I do. That's totally a mood as a, as an author and as a witch, we get told and we, we get people feel as though when we talk about these things that we're either a endorsing or B no, we just, we want to be as authentic and as possible. That vulnerability is not easy. 
I don't want to be at a conference and have someone come up and, and tell me the most gut-wrenching parts of their soul that they're not ready to. No, mm-hmm. I want you to, to honor where you are right now. I want you to be able to understand that I have been in similar situations and I'm here to listen, but there's so much pressure to conform to this idea that our lives are perfect because we're witches and it's not the case. We're not any more or less human. We're just a little bit more in tune with the environment around us. Yeah. And the deeper world, like we find our healing in the, our wholeness, our wellness in the deeper, deeper world, but it doesn't mean that we're somehow immune mm-hmm. to the difficulties of life. And there's also, you know, the idea from like some traditions where like the healer is the one who has had the most trauma, the most difficulty that by making like, you know, dis-ease, like dis-ease, mm-hmm. you know it, you're an expert on it, and therefore you are in a position to help others alleviate their disease. That's how we get the, the training is on the, on the fly and usually without wanting to be. Right? So, yeah, I just, but we're not broken. We have had no. experiences and trauma and all kinds of things, and we are healing, you know, into like our, our wholeness. I think that's what being a well witch is, is just being like, I'm not there yet, but I'm healing. You know, that's a song from um, the singer Fletcher. Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet, but I'm healing. And it's like, yeah, we're, that's the journey towards wellness, towards healing. It's not about perfection. It's not about avoiding. Right. It's about there are days that I, I want to be done. I would like to be healed and done and finished. But it's a process. It's there's not an end goal. It's a it's a continuing process because when we've dealt with that that next hurdle, guess what? There's there's the one after that, and it might be a mile down the road. It might be ten miles down the road. But we're making sure that we're equipped enough to handle it when we get there. I love that. So maybe we this is a good place for us to kind of define what we mean by wellness and wholeness. So in your book, you say, let's set aside the pressure to get healthy. Can we please? (laughs) Can we do like a binding spell or a banishing (laughs) spell? Or can we get one of those cute little coffins and like write healthy on a piece of paper, put it in the coffin, bury that sucker? Can we do that? And bury the shovel. (laughs) And bury the shovel with it. And instead, free ourselves to find wellness on our own terms. Okay, so what does wellness look like for you? There's an excerpt from the book that I wanted to share. It talks about those of us with chronic illness and chronic pain and and those issues. We're not going to be 100% healthy. And that's an unrealistic goal. That's too much pressure to put on yourself. It's not fair for someone to put that pressure on you. So it's not that that's not the way our bodies are going to work. And that's not that's not a it's not your fault is yes. the important part. It's not, no matter how it came about, it's not about fault or blame. It's about acceptance and moving forward because it's just not the way our bodies are going to work. And those of us with chronic pain who are chronically ill and the disabled don't owe anyone their medical history. I don't 
owe anybody anything. Disabled people do not owe you their medical history. Everyone deserves to be seen as a person and not a stereotype and not the picture a stranger has in their head. We're going to come in all shapes and all sizes, all races and all ability levels. So when people talk about, especially with this being January and the new year, there's a lot of messaging out there that says diet or you, you'll diet or you're going to die. You have to be healthy. And what exactly does it accomplish? There's a, there's a few people every year who are able to make that their, their new normal. And that's beautiful. And I love that. But the messaging is garbage from the, from the diet industry that says, okay, well, give me a lot of money or you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. And that's not okay. We have to set aside that pressure to get healthy and free ourselves to find wellness on our own terms, whatever that looks like for us. And it's going to change from day to day. Today, I'm, I'm going to be able to give 110%. And tomorrow, I might have 5% available. And that's what's going to be the best for that day. And that's okay. It's perfectly okay to not hold yourself to some kind of ridiculous standard that doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. This whole idea of like, what is healthy? Like to me, what is healthy to me is being content with my life um, and a lot of radical acceptance um, and just finding a way to bring joy into my life every day. Like my candles and my sigils, um, all the things that really bring me joy and focusing on that and just like remembering like one of my favorite expressions is I am not whoever and they are not me. So just because you see someone on the socials who's like running a marathon and I don't know, bacon seven course dinner, you know, whatever it is they're doing, like, first of all, they're probably not really. Second of all, <laughs> Second of all, you know, it's like, but they're not you. So don't like, we just have this weird world. And I think it's really linked to our consumer culture mm -hmm. where it's like, we're always being funneled into social comparison. Yes. And that's the, that's a really important point. They're not you, but some days I'm not me. Exactly. Well, there's many of us, right? There's many yes. Amy's and there's many Cindy's that are when inside I, I had a friend come over on Saturday. Um, I made a, I made dinner for his birthday, and I had this this great meal planned out, and I was really excited. Um, I make uh, the recipes in botanical brews, as a matter of fact, in the very back. Um, it's a cocoa rubbed pork tenderloin, and I uh, finish it in an apple cider reduction, so wow. it just falls apart with a fork. It's beautiful. Um, it's, it's really lovely. It's one of my favorite meals to make, but I won't make it for myself because it's too much food. But so I'm cooking and I'm, I'm puttering around the kitchen. I'm making sure that the final preparations are done. And Josh is peeking in my, um, my cabinet. He's, you know, just puttering around. And he says, you know, I feel so much better. <sighs> and I'm like, what, what, how did my cabinet make you feel better? <laughs> he said, well, you're, you're making this beautiful meal and I see you talk about these these gorgeous gourmet meals that you prepare and the, the, the sauces you make from scratch and there's this apricot meat seasoning that you're doing and, and you're always doing these things, but I see there's ramen in your cabinet. <laughs> He's like, I feel so much better that like you come down at two o'clock in the morning, you want something to munch on, you can have ramen. I feel much better about myself. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I have ramen in my cabinet just like everybody else. So, well, which pro tip number one, if you can't eat ramen, do it. It's fine. <laughs> or whatever your equivalent of ramen is. I think my equivalent of ramen is probably like oatmeal, gluten-free yes. oatmeal. You know, just something super quick. Like, it's fine. Don't stress. Do more of what you love and less of what you don't. Yes. Done I mean, that's, well, that's wellness, right? More of what you love, less of what you don't. Yes. Um, and in uh, entering Hecate's cave, I don't use wellness. I use wholeness and kind of come at it from a psychological perspective mm -hmm. about like what is um, wholeness. And in psychology, wholeness is um, sometimes called like the, the adult individuation. Mm -hmm which I think is so connected. I think that's actually what you're writing about in your book. You don't use the word, but that's like, oh, Amy, this is what you're writing about. Because individuation means like becoming our whole self, mm -hmm. that we're individuated, which means like we're not codependent or enmeshed with anybody else, or we're not over-identifying, like in the case of chronic illness, like with our diagnoses and the healthcare system that, we're not, um, you know, like excessively doing social comparison or like fawning and changing our personality to meet other people. Like we're individuated. We are a whole individual onto ourselves, and, and that's really what your all your book with all of its wonderful exercises. And that's really like that's the journey. It right? really is. Mm -hmm. You just being whoever you are, just being you and working towards being like the most beautiful most nourishing version of you that you can and a big part of that is figuring out who that person is because a lot of times trauma tells us that we're this person and we have it's our job to figure out who am i without this trauma who am i without these these codependencies or these these sticking points in our in our personality who am i and that's the that's the rub that's the journey that's the, the long and short of it is figuring out who you are without these these extra pieces that you don't need that aren't you it's it's so true and away. it's like these are powerful spirits like you know in terms of like let's look at the deeper energy of these things so our trauma our chronic illness like in my way of viewing them that they are spirits they are onto themselves that have like a will and a desire for us to really, they want our attention. They want us to be codependent on them. They want us to be enmeshed in whatever it is mm -hmm. um, because it serves them or it serves the system that they're part of well. And I, something that when I was just thinking this morning and doing my meditations and looking forward to talking to you, I was thinking about like being the well witch and so like as witches we you know we words are so powerful for us and we we're going to talk about sigils in a bit and other ways to work with words and you and i are both writers and teachers so words are everything and something i was curious to kind of see what you thought about was like the utility of like clinical diagnostic labels it's something I think about a lot. I don't yeah. particularly like them unless I'm in an environment where I have to, use, where they make sense, where that's right. part of that language. I don't know. How do you feel about clinical? There's language? a lot of, there's a lot of energy that we put into those labels as 
the patient, but I don't feel like they're as helpful from the patient's perspective. You want to have something to call it. You want to be have somewhere, but we put so much energy and effort into being that person that I think it can be counterproductive. There's obviously there's so many you know comorbidities that go along with individuation, and those individual pieces. I don't want people to get so wrapped up in those pieces that they forget to realize who they are. Um, it's it gets to be like armor for a lot of people. Okay, well right. I have I have X diagnosis. I can use this to sort of separate myself from the from the people around me as a as a coping mechanism. That's so true, it's, and it can be really adaptive. Exactly. You no, know, even though like it it can kind of dip into shadow and fear energy. Mm -hmm. Because like you write in the book, it's really difficult to be vulnerable and open. Absolutely. And we spend so much time trying to do that dance, not just as authors, but as as people, as humans. What is the correct level of vulnerability? Uh, especially with the advent of social media and how that gives us the platform to engage with other people. It's not just putting up a front we're we're trying to figure out what that dance is and how much vulnerability is just the right amount because we don't want trauma bonding but we also don't want fawning and uh co-relationships that aren't really there yeah it, there's a lot to it um and even you and i would need more than an hour to sort it out <laughs> <laughs> um so but i just think you know you because for me, I was just talking to someone the other day and they were sharing with me, they were like talking about another person and they were like, oh, so-and-so has, you know, the same things that you've got, Cindy. And I said to this person, I said, do you know, I do not sit around in my life thinking, oh, I have celiac disease. I have myofascial pain. I have like whatever these things are. Like, I don't think about that at all, Amy, to be mm -hmm. honest. Um, if I have to engage with mainstream healthcare, like that's their language and I speak right. their language there. But it, to me, like, I don't think about that. Like, I don't get up in the morning and think I've got celiac disease. I get up in the morning and sit, think, what am I going to have for breakfast? So a friend of mine visited, uh, invited me to her, her town, her space to visit. And so we, she was raised Catholic. We went to, um, uh, the Cathedral Basilica of the Assumption. Really beautiful place. Um, really beautiful art. And they had the Stations of the Cross. So we, we go and visit. It's all mosaiced onto the walls with individual pieces of tile. It's incredibly moving for people who have not experienced religious trauma there. Yes. <laughs> um, and the priest was doing the overarching discussion. And he's talking about the, the artwork of the mosaic. And he says... If you take the tip of your pinky finger right here, you can put your finger over seven pieces of tile just in the eye of Jesus. Wow. You put your tip of your finger over Jesus' eye, seven pieces of tile. It's a lot like picking one of those seven pieces of tile and making that your personality. Right. It's a part of you. It's definitely something that is a part of your whole but we understand that you're more than that piece. You're you're a whole person. And I want people to feel 
comfortable in knowing that they are more than their diagnosis. It affects a lot of areas of our lives, absolutely. But you are so much more than your diagnosis. And also that I'm happy to listen to you talk about it. Like I need, you know, I need you to know two things that you are so much more than it. And I, I am happy to listen if you need Absolutely. to talk about it. It's not, so it's not like denying the, the, the condition. It's saying like, you're more than that. Um, and the other thing I was thinking, Amy, there is this thing, cause you're very honest about your chronic conditions and you're really audacious out there. And something that I've been thinking about for the past several months, I don't even know if I can say this right. You know, it's this thing where, oh, it has a name and the name just flew out of my head. Um, you know, like when people look to someone that has chronic disability and they're like, oh, well, look at all of Amy, what Amy's achieved. If she can achieve things, I can achieve things too. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. And it and it's along the line of co-relationships, but it's not, it's, it's a different word. And yeah. I know it'll come to me in a moment. And it's so not fair to each of us to, to feel that you have to compare yourself to someone else because I get to talk about the, the good things and sometimes the hard things, but it's not my everyday experience that gets shared. And so People feel like they have to compare themselves. They have to do just as much as I do. Some days I can't do anything. Some days I get a lot done. Some days I write 20,000 words. Some days I write five words. <laughs> and it's going to change from day to day. You can only hold yourself accountable to your own level of you today. Right. And not be social comparison. And at the same time, it's like, I don't want to be out there being some kind of poster child, poster witch um you know for like this is you know like i can do it so you can too i think everybody is really different and i just hope people are inspired by my work uh to right, find their own inspired you know i don't I mean? want people to set themselves up to fail yeah because what you see of us in the public um you know it, it can never it's always going to be a small look peek into who are uh, the totality of our lives so I, I do think about that it's like i don't want people to think like i'm like 24 7 you know doing all these amazing things I mean, you know a lot of my life is especially since i got bit by that damn spider last summer a lot of my the last since the end of june last year and then i got that bad case of covid Honestly, it's just been sitting on the couch here, um, not even being able to like lay down really because where the spider bit me on my chest, it was weird. It was super weird, Amy. But you know, and it's like, I sometimes I just want to be like, y'all just need to see like my messy corner where I have like way too many blankets and piles of tissue. And you know, like this is just as much who I am as opposed to like the little zoom box you see, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. I think you walk a fine line and it's that you want to like be, um, you know, do the things that we need to do like in the, with our career 
and also like to be really authentic because one of the things I super appreciate with you is that you are authentic and I see a lot well not that much because I don't really follow those people but I sometimes <laughs> see people who you know who I'm like that doesn't feel authentic to me that feels performative that feels too like they took a course and how to be a social media influencer you yeah. know what I mean like I do so I really appreciate your authenticity. And I think that's really what wellness and wholeness is, is being authentic. And like you write about in protection. Um, and when you are leading from that place of authenticity, that you work to keep yourself safe, like you become your own champion, which I think is so freaking important in this world that we live in. Um, Absolutely, because who's going to be able to do it for you as well as you can? Nobody. Right. And you write about that in the book, right? About self-efficacy. Mm -hmm. And I think that really gets to the heart of like being a well witch, like being our own best advocate. Yeah. One of the hardest things about dealing with that idea uh, of wellness, even, even health in general, is giving ourselves permission to ask for help, permission to speak up and, and to do that, to be that vulnerable person. All of those things can be really difficult, no matter your age, your race, um, social inequity and trauma can certainly play a large role. If it's you have so those true. factors against your physical, your mental, your spiritual health, it can feel like an uphill battle, but it deserve, we all deserve access to healthcare, including mental vision and dental services, as witches to witness other magical practitioners dealing with those challenges and thriving makes it easier for days that we can't get out of bed. If the light is too loud or the pain is too great, it really helps to know we aren't alone. There's that community out there who's willing to listen, willing to collaborate and willing to offer solutions if asked. So it's always really important to look if someone's looking for commiseration or if they're looking for solutions because offering those solutions, especially in a health-based environment can be really just overwhelming because everyone's got the husband's brother, sister's cousin who you know, gave up gluten and decided that fixed their all of their life's problems. Right. Um, together, we gotta learn to learn to really craft our care routine, and whether it's magical sigils and how to armor ourselves against those pitfalls. That's that's what that self advocacy looks like. You armor yourself with the really beneficial plans, and and learning to go with that flow, because we can't make it happen. We have to sort of go with the th the hands that were dealt on a particular day doing that math right and and it's about like being good enough like i i often say you know we are good we are enough and abide in the temple of good enough and and you know like let go of like you like you said about burying healthy it's like also burying like this idea that things should be perfect or that there's any one thing that's gonna like instantly make us perfect um because that really detracts from the beauty of like figuring out who we are connecting with people who are like-minded and mm -hmm. sharing our journey with them that's really that's what wellness is is like Absolutely. feeling heard feeling held and heard no matter what is going on and being safe so read, a, read amy's protection book <laughs> as a neurodivergent person it can be really hard for me because I if I'm not immediately perfect with something if it's not perfect the first time I don't want to do it like I, I give up I'm done 
but we have to really learn to live in the comfort of good is better than perfect good is better than done done mm. is better than perfect because when we take those pieces and we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect at something it can take some of the therapeutic value out of it you know i'm i'm having a bad day so i'm going to go downstairs and i'm going to dig out my paints and i'm going to paint something and my van go absolutely not can i draw a stick figure some days <laughs> but it's got to be that I allow myself to make that piece of art so I can have the, you know, I can have the catharsis from it. I can have the emotional impact that I wanted from my art, whether it's good enough to be in a gallery or not, whether I think that anyone will ever see it or not, but it has to be where I allow myself to not only make mistakes, but to experience being in my body at the same time as my brain is. That disassociation is so dangerous because I I could just live there. Okay, I don't feel like doing my dishes today. I'm just going to dissociate while I uh, run water over my dishes and put them in the dishwasher. So <laughs> we're all in the same boat here, guys. We're all in the same let's not dissociate today boat. Let's, yes. let's stay in our bodies. Let's not dissociate. <laughs> let's just be good enough and we can get through it together. Okay, so are you ready to kind of like take it into the magic a little bit more of course okay so one of the things when i was looking at like all of your books and all of my books um we write a lot about working with spirits but we mm -hmm. don't tend to call it that so definitely on down low it's on the down low but our <laughs> books are basically books about working with spirits um obviously for the two of us plant spirits are really dominant and in, mm -hmm. in everything that we write about. Um, and I wanted to, like, I was looking at our two newest books and I was like looking at your table of contents and looking at my table of contents. And I was like, there's something really interesting I wanna pull out here in terms of talking about spirits. So in my new book, I have um, the main chapters are named after uh, 13 epithets of Hecate and other goddesses. Um, so like Triformis, Dracana, the serpent goddess, Anodia, We've been talking, we've been really having an anodic conversation, which is mm -hmm. about taking up space on the road and allowing yourself to, when I think of like, like when you said, we all deserve treatment, we all deserve adequate care, we deserve, and it's like, that's like saying, there is a big road of society, um, the big road of healthcare, and to me, it's like hail Anodia, because we deserve to be on that road. And, I and you're think, allowed to take up space. And you're allowed to start, take up space on that road. Don't be small about it in terms of like advocating for yourself. So to me, those epithets are spirits that kind of transcend, you know, just being a title of Hecate, but they're like spirits onto themselves, like the death queen, Anessa Anaroy. Um, and then you did something super cool in your book, which you talked about the spirits of the tarot, specifically the major arcana and finding wellness through working with the major arcana, which I think is so cool. What made you decide to do that? I really love working with the tarot as a tool, but as a magical practice, it's really important to recognize that when we are holding the fool, for example, it's not just a piece of paper that you're engaging with. Mm -hmm. You're now standing in a line 
behind a long line of everyone who's ever worked with the energy of the fool back to the creation of that card. Mm -hmm. It's not just a piece of paper. It's a thought form unto itself. So if you can tap into that idea, into that thought form, that sigil, if you will, you can really relate your energy to what's happening in that energy of the full and move forward with your wellness, uh, move forward embodying that spirit of, okay, let's, let's take this new diagnosis and move forward into creating a space where I feel whole and understood and seen and accepted with power rather than helplessness. The, those, there's a, there comes a point in every book that I'm writing where the light goes on and everybody's home and let's, let's move forward. This, inspiration hits and mm -hmm. and for me part of that was not just court not just including the sigils but looking at the tarot and how they can guide our individual journeys how they can th take those specific examples and really turn them into that inner journey and see ourselves not just from an idea of wholeness but empowered moving forward oh it's so true and you know, and working with the cards that way, that's, I work with the cards that way. I always have a bunch, like on my desk, you know, from different decks that I'm working with. Um, and so the cards are so, because they are spirits onto themselves, they are archetypes, um, whether they're animal cards, I mean, like some bear. And then I love the Wild Unknown Archetypes deck by Kim Kranz. Um, and what else do I have here? I keep one on my desk if you'd like to see it. What do you got? <laughs> this is uh, from Natalie Meraki, who did uh, the Tarot Mood. Mm -hmm. I absolutely, I, I love her whole face. I did an interview with her um, last year talking about the different decks that she's created. And this is a card that she created based on a, a conglomeration of images from the writer Waitsmith. It says, everything is awesome. It's all of the fantastic. Oh, it's everybody. It's everybody. There's the ten of cups. There's the sun. There's the, it's it's all of the really fantastic cards all mushed into one, and and it's fantastic. So I keep that on my desk to remind myself that everything really is awesome, and and we're gonna make it work. That's right. Her tarot the cards can is... help. So it's like you've got seventy eight spirits in one card. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I thought maybe we could spend a couple of minutes just on the high priestess. So. Do you want to, so you include the high priestess, you have this exercise on connecting with the high priestess to soothe anxiety. And I love mm -hmm. this because it kind of merges like my favorite things, which is like the deeper world, magical things and psychology. So how does that exercise work? When we look at the way the high priestess is embodied, it's not just there's the regular things that most people know they you see the moon at their at her feet and know that it's understanding of the moon and it's embodied in water i talk about the healing journey of working with the high priestess that intuition and mystery but the actual exercise itself is to soothe anxious feelings the high priestess's calming lunar influence is a balm for the soul especially for the witch who is so burnt that they're crispy around the edges Shuffle the deck on the table as you fan out the cards face up. Locate the high priestess, but don't pull it from its spot yet. Now locate the chariot. We're following a chain. When the high priestess card is ruled by the moon, the chariot is also ruled by cancer, which is ruled by the moon as well. 
So take a look at the chariot to find your way out of the dark. Take the cards between the high priestess and the chariot and lay them out to tell the story of your triumph over a trepidatious task. Whether you have two cards or 20, you're going to get there. And now you have a roadmap to do just that. That's such a beautiful exercise. And it's so easy to do. So yeah, you don't have to be a super fancy shuffler. You don't have to count all the cards. You just have to find your way out of the dark. And sometimes that's hard enough by itself. And I love how it's like the high priestess is that invitation to being curious about our emotions and, you know, for being a well witch, to be in tune with our emotions and to kind of like embrace even the difficult ones. I think that's such a key. And I think the high priestess is one of the keys in the major arcana certainly can add that, add, like help us find that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So speaking of the high priestess, one of the things I say to myself because of my chronic pain, I call myself the high priestess in the temple of pain, um, which I think if you didn't know me or if I didn't explain what I mean by that, you would think I was pro it probably had like some kind of a negative connotation, mm -hmm. but I, to me, it's actually become something be really beautiful and that I need to like take good care of my pain. Obviously, you know, minimize it and take good care of myself and do what I can but it's like I have been gifted with chronic pain that's part of my sacred contract in this life for whatever reason even if it's from trauma like that it's here now so for me it's like I see myself as the high priestess of pain and that it's my job to be a good high priestess like and to tend to tend to pain and take good care of pain and make sure pain um, when pain is happy pain is not so loud and annoying you know mm -hmm. so so that's kind of how I see it um, do you have any good stories about living in an embodied life with a lot of pain absolutely it was difficult I was in the hospital for about six months dealing with the the aftermath of this uh, car accident I woke up with 72 pins, you know, there's, um, I broke both my arms, both my legs, my pelvis, my nose, my orbital, my collarbone. I broke, I broke a lot of stuff. Very, very disparate pieces. But the interesting thing was not dealing with just the pain because people think of pain as a static thing. And that's not really how that works. <laughs> not even moment to moment. Um, one of the things that occurred and that needed to happen is that those pins needed daily care so they didn't become infected because they're quite literally drilled into your bone to hold your bones together. It's a cast that can exist when you have, I had uh, 400 stitches and 250 staples. Uh, it was, I, my, I had a spontaneous amputation. I, they sort of stuck everything back together with barbed wire and duct tape. But when that time came, two or three times a day, to clean those pins, mm. when it first happened, mind you, walking into the room, walking into the hospital room, shook the floor enough that I'd scream. Oh. Just, just the vibration of the floor walking into the room. 
and every every single person that walked into the room especially you know nurses are coming to talk to you and see how you're doing every single one of them leaned their hip against the bed which gives you just enough motion i'd scream so i can i can imagine it's a little easier to understand when it came time for 72 pins to get scrubbed with uh, water and peroxide and little q-tips that was a new level of hell of agony and that's not something that's sustainable in an organism people die from the the being in extreme amounts of pain so how was i going to get out of this particular situation with my sanity intact I was in a teaching hospital, which was actually very beneficial. So when the nursing students came through with their rotations, I had two separate rotations come through of uh, nursing students and I had plenty of limbs to go around. So we have, we have some pins over here. We have some pins over here. Everybody gets to practice. Uh, I began uh, singing different chants from my, my coven training from, um, I was in a, I was in a cul culinary school. I was in a clergy program for my, individual coven's practice and so when we would start i would sing and it started with uh earth my body air my blood or uh, air my breath fire my spirit while they were working because taking that slow deep breath in and slow deep breath out by the the singing and the chanting and the really connecting gave me some control over my body that i did not have any other way it gave me that connection that says, okay, I know you're in your body right now and you don't really want to be, but this is how we make it out together. This is how we make it out stronger. And there were days that my, I didn't have the, wherewithal is probably the wrong word, but the right vibe to keep the lyrics straight for my favorite witchy chants. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the Indigo Girls and I, I'd sing my favorite songs from the Indigo Girls album that I knew by heart. I could play any single one of those songs. I knew every single word, backwards, forwards, and upside down. And it's funny because probably 10 years later, I was riding in my um, car with my mom. And we were, we were, I think we were going shopping or going to lunch or something. And the Indigo Girls came on the radio and she said, oh, I'm going to need you to change that. I mean, I, mean I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Mom, what's wrong? It got to the point where she equated the Indigo Girls with my screaming pain mm -hmm. and agony, and she couldn't handle it anymore. And I said, well, if it makes you feel any better, if it helps in any way, that's what I needed. I needed something to focus on to get me through that. So that helped, even if it was scary, even if it was hard, even if it was literally painful. It was so helpful. It was so, that connection kept me sane. So she said, you know what, actually that does, that does help a little bit because this, you know, this is a band that we both enjoyed. I've seen them live in concert probably six times. Yeah. The Indigo uh, Girls have literally saved my life. Yes. Like Hale, Amy, and Emily. <sighs> but you know, yeah. like I can't even, imagine a world without them in it because 
I mean, I wouldn't be here. So right, you're like I wouldn't be here either. So. Did you see, like, I know we could just fall down the Indigo, which is <laughs> you and I could just go dancing down the Indigo Girls Avenue. Did you see on their um, socials that a documentary about them is an official selection for the Sundance Fil Film Festival this year? I'm so excited. <laughs> I am so happy that they are finally, you know, I feel like when the Indigo Girls are having a moment, we're all having a moment. Yes. I put that on a t-shirt because yes <laughs> you know what I mean because it's like yes if they are being seen and heard we are being seen and heard absolutely um but that your story is so moving but it I mean in that it's such a powerful example about being the high priestess of your own temple of pain it's like this is where we are the pain is unbelievable like I can't I can imagine it but it must have been horrible um and that you could have given into it, but instead you tended it, like mm -hmm. you quelled it um, by connecting. We held each other. We, you held, yeah, with each other, and you walked together with the pain. Yes. Seeing witchy chants, retro witchy, retro reclaiming witchy chants, which I also love, as you know, <laughs> and the Indigo Girls. So there, you just need to listen to the Indigo Girls. They will yes. never tell you it's easy, but they will tell you that you can be, should I say it? Yes. Closer, Closer to, to fine. <laughs> <laughs> you can always sit with your own Prince of Darkness. It will. That's right. <sighs> oh. Okay. Okay. So sigil. So let's finish up maybe by talking about sigils for a few minutes. Cause I know I have lots in the background. Sigils are really important. Um, to my work and also in my personal life. And I love sigils and you love sigils too. So we are indigo girls, sigils, groupies. <laughs> we should make a sigil for the indigo girls. We should totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> this is for everybody who has ever been deeply healed by the indigo girls. This is our sigil. Okay. So not unsurprisingly, both you and I basically talk about really similar techniques of reducing words down mm -hmm. to basic forms. Um, and also that we need you to know, it's like, we need you to know. We were talking before we started recording and we need you to know that it is absolutely 100,000 million percent okay for you to make your own sigils. Do you agree with that statement? I know you do, but I just want, I want them to hear you say it. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so many, there's ways of, there's hundreds of ways of doing it. There's, and and one of them is going to resonate with you. Maybe more than one is going to resonate with you, but there are so many other ways of doing it than just the one. Yes. So many ways. So the reducing down is a great way um, to do it. If you've got like a word that you're working with like acrostics are one example. What's a couple of other examples? Uh, pictographic sigils. You're drawing what you want to, you know, you draw the money sign from your candle and you're looking to increase your prosperity. That's a good one. Um, you could even work with like the caduceus, like the sigil for healthcare, um, which I could do a whole episode on the interesting history of how that became associated with healthcare. But anyway, um, but you know, so use symbols in your sigils, 
astronomical figures, mm -hmm. the planets, the signs, especially for your personal astrology. Like if you're making a personal sigil, you can include them. Uh, what are some other things? We can take not just the idea, but making that sigil, the whole process of it is a, an incredibly magical mm -hmm. process. It's not just, okay, I guess I'm going to do the thing. Embodying the process while you're doing it is part of the magic. It's not, you know, I guess I'm going to have to wait and do the magic after I finish this thing. Every minute that you put into crafting that sigil, every moment that you put into, whether it's research or design or buying magazines to cut up and make poster boards out of, every right. bit of that is that magic goes into your bank to spend once you've actually started directing that magic where it needs to go. That's that magic so coin to spend. Like that is the ritual. The spell is like all of that prep work. Right. Like you, have a tendency the, to... you know, that's where you, the, the finished project, pro, the finished product is, you know, just like that little enchanted piece that has a vitality to it that carries on all of the love, all of the healing, all of the desire that you put into creating it. And I think that's why creativity is so important because, you know, that's, there's so much energy of us in whatever we create ourselves. Yeah. You and I were talking before we started recording. I, um, I'm signing a, like three book contracts in any minute. And so I've gotten this, okay, I need to, I need to schedule myself some outside activities away from the computer, away from my office, away from my house so that I can reinvigorate that creativity so I can make sure that I'm really embodying that not just the sense of space but where those creative ideas are going to come from by getting outside of my office because nobody creates in a vacuum mm -hmm. you have to have experiences mm -hmm. you know whether it's like people you follow on the socials or authors you really like or courses you take like just to see that all is sources of inspiration yeah um and then just to let that flow um and make your own magical sigil so in hecate's uh, cave for the 13 main chapters i included 13 sigil digital sig sigils that i made they started off as hand-drawn ones um and then i slowly taught myself how to make digital ones fantastic <laughs> over the years i'm getting better um <laughs> And I think it's just it, because it's a whole project making a sigil. Oh yeah, the you know? I mean not just the sigil work, but the experience that that brings us to where we are is also part of that magic. And we we have a tendency to write that off because it's not fancy. It doesn't film well. It's not you know the the cinematography of the beach scene in the craft. Um, I when I was writing Blackthorn's Protection Magic, I had a hard time getting started writing. Um, I, there was a part of the book that I knew was going to be triggering and upsetting to write, but I knew I needed to write that to get it out of the way and open those floodgates. Mm -hmm. And after struggling it for a bit, I called my editor, the amazing Judica Isles, who I, I would do literally anything for. I, she's a, an amazing human. If you haven't read her books, you should stop what you're doing. <laughs> yes, don't listen to us. Go read her books. Go read her books. Um, <laughs> well, maybe she, listen uh, to us said, and then read her books. I don't know. <laughs> Both also works. <laughs> and she said so what is what is the hardest thing you're what's what is what 
really is driving the issue. And I said, I feel like an imposter. I feel like I'm I'm making it up and, mm-hmm. and that you should, you should have had somebody else write this book. And she said, well, what makes you feel that way? And I said, well, I've had all these, these, you know, these big traumatic, scary things happen. You know, I, I feel like you should talk to somebody about protection magic who maybe has protected themselves from those things. <laughs> she said, my love, this is why we want you to write that book because you've had those experiences because you've been able to, you'll be able to speak authentically about these experiences because that's where you've come from. Anybody can sit down with a pile of source material and, and pull out a book on protection magic, but none of those people have your experiences with actually needing protection in the physical realm and allowing magic to be part of your process. Uh, and that was so, so cathartic. I drove down to uh, my local meadery. Uh, I'm not a wine person. Meat is really lovely, but honey just speaks to my soul, I suppose. I had a glass of wine and I had some time to myself. And I went down to the, the beach that I that had some scary associations with it. And, you know, I just collected some stones and some shells. And as I, as I walked barefoot to the edge of the water, this is probably in January. So it was, it was a chilly walk in my bare feet on the sand. And every piece of shell, every, every rock that I picked up on my way out there, I just, I figured out one part of that situation that was so scary and untenable. And I released it back into the ocean. I couldn't necessarily make peace with that person. Mm-hmm. It's not a space where I was at at that moment, but it was really important to make the the beach not the bad guy anymore because it's not the beach's fault. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. So relating those magical needs to the creativity that we have inside of us is so important to recognize that ex- our experiences are feeding our magic, are feeding these sigils that we're creating that's why it's so important that they be impactful for you, that you find them visually pleasing, that you find the, the process whole making, because that's not just part of the magic. It's a big part of it. It's a big part of why you will react to that magical idea that's printed in that sigil, because you are putting your own time, energy, materials, but personal experience into it. And that's why it's so important, whether you're talking about uh austin osman spare or you're talking about you know a picture of a dollar sign for money it's that personal connection that's what makes that magic actually live and breathe and work mm-hmm. and then you know when you connect with it after because when the sigil is created i know in some ways of thinking i think maybe it's like chaos magic or something i don't know much about mm-hmm. but it's like when you do when you're done with it you're supposed to just walk away from it um, I rarely do that. I'm much more like I've got the thing and I'm going to tend to the thing and nourish the thing and connect to the thing, whatever the talisman, sigil, whatever it is I've done. Right. For me, that's kind of how I work with it. Uh, how do you work with it after it's been? I'm definitely a tender. Um, I'm, I understand the school of set it and forget it magic, mm-hmm. but I definitely want to and I'm sure this this is part of the ADHD, is I need a physical reminder. I need to come back to it so I can remember to continue doing that work. That's why having a tea shop was so impactful for my magical practice because each tea has its own intention. So I can I can drink my Van Van tea while I'm 
picturing the blockages from previous issues melting away. I, I know mm -hmm. that this is moving forward. I can, I can let that lemongrass speak to the communication that I need in my heart. So I can keep working that magic as I'm, as I'm moving forward. I don't just, I can't just set it and forget it because I will literally forget it exists. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, until I trip over it or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, you sell the teas mm -hmm. and you've poured all of that magic into creating them. So the teas are like a form of magic that you're offering the world which Absolutely. is so wonderful. And then, so you can, you know, have the, Amy has done like all of this work to prep them. And now you can just, she's sending them off into the world. I, I just love that. It's really wonderful. Okay. So we're almost out of time, Okay, but you kind of blew my mind a little bit with this business <laughs> with the magic squares. Can we talk about the magic squares just yes, in closing? Please. Okay. <laughs> Tell me all about them. <laughs> It was it was such a mind-blowing experience so when i was writing botanical magic it woke me up in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning one day and i said oh my goodness the date time and place where a lawsuit was filed is the date time and place of birth for empowering or disempowering the magic of that document so i had to come home and come come home come in my office and and write all this chapter out and i wrote a whole class about it and that moment for me in this book was talking about embodying these sigils, taking these sigils and embodying them into creating magical thought forms to help us work through our, uh, our issues related to wellness. So it, taking the idea of uh, care tasks, like calling and making a new calling, making a doctor's appointment, finding a new doctor, those things that we, I would rather just, I'd rather be on fire than have to do that. <laughs> it's so it's so horrible. So, it's horrible. It is. <laughs> um, so embodying those care tasks that I'd rather not do. So the the idea of creating doctor's appointments and finding a new doctor into my athame where the will lives, mm -hmm. like that was that was really important. But a a really important piece of that structure that I was working with was taking these uh, magical squares and making sure that they understood. Uh, that it's not just the numerology of the letter. It's not just the pictographic circles and, and making sure that they look right. But I had the idea of taking the magic squares, which I'll, which we're obviously we're talking about now, and turning them into uh, their own talismanic magic for wellness, for wholeness, for really embodying who you are as a self. So the one of the most famous one is the Satcher Square. Uh, you take the letters S-A-T-O-R and you can write them into a square. And so each one, each word, because it, it's almost like a, an acrostic in that mm. way that we're talking about those. So Sator, Arepo, Tinet, Opera, and Rotas all work out so that they spell Sator in the square of its own being. So when we look at magical squares, each element, each planet has their own square based on the energy of that planet. So Venus has its own square. Jupiter has its own square. I loved, as, as someone who has dyscalculia, I cannot do numbers. I cannot, math will make me cry. 
I love the idea of magical squares because it makes this scattered array of numbers make sense because every single number from here to infinity and beyond has a magical square that it can resonate with. It has planetary magic that it can resonate with. And even with somebody who, you know, does her budget with a calculator, I can make that make sense. I can make those, those weave together and make magical sense. That just, it makes my hair stand up to get excited. Yeah, it's so cool um, because like, you know, I make a lot of sigils based on acrostics, but I do, I don't do the magical squares, but I do a lot of what you're talking about, mm -hmm. which is like, I use a system called Stoichea that is like basically the same thing that we're talking about, which incorporates like the Greek alphabet and merges that and the English alphabet onto the, the signs of the Zodiac and the, the Sacred Seven, the original, um, celestial bodies of astrology so i really love that and i love I, the thing i love about sigils like i mean obviously i get a little carried away but um <laughs> you know like with my like embossing and you know the laminating machine you know all of the things i do to my sigils i'm a double virgo the laminating machine makes my heart happy right it's like gotta get the laser <laughs> printer and the laminating machine and the <laughs> you know, right? like, and at the same time it's like these are just as powerful if you know you just have a piece of like a napkin like a napkin mm -hmm. that has a val meaning for you if you've got like a napkin that has a sentimental value for whatever reason and then you can like build on the energy of what's already in there because of the memory and put your sigil on it you don't even need a new piece of paper um, you know, you can get really elaborate or, but it, at the heart of sigils and these squares and acrostics and any kind of, basically you need a piece of paper and something to write with, even ash, you know, like you can do the sigil in ash, like you can do all kinds of things. So I'd love how accessible it is and how much creativity is in it, because I really feel like there's so much magic in the creative, um, you know, it is important, like, you know, like if you read authors like me or Amy or Judica, read all of her books, um, <laughs> that, you know, we, you can do the things as we present them and they will work. And yet, if you go to that key deeper step and make them your own, Maybe it's something Amy said, but you swap out one essence, one essential oil for another, or maybe it's a ritual I said, you know, I, I wrote about, but you're like, I think I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do this slightly different. Red as a color of the ritual doesn't make sense to me. Purple is clearly my color. So like having that confidence and that creativity and that trust in yourself and in the magic, um, like, I think that's really what amplifies it and takes it to a whole other level um, beyond any kind of like dogma. I think it's, that's really like freedom. And, and I think freedom is wellness. Um, even when we have like, cause, cause freedom is not, I still miss like downhill skiing and long distance running. Um, but when I look back to that, Cindy, she wasn't really free. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's like, I feel a lot freer, a lot weller, a lot wholer, um, you know, now that I can't do a lot of the things I used to do and because I've, I've found my space 
within myself for what brings me joy and contentment. Um, and, you know, just looking deeper into what really is your happy place and whatever you can, like when we can't run around and do this 24 seven, but like when you even five or 10 minutes a day to just focus on something that brings you joy, whatever it is, um, just doing that, I think is the key to being a well witch and it'll shift your gaze. You know, that energy, like attention, energy flows where attention goes. And if you're finding joy and comfort for five minutes a day, that's going to start to like amplify that. I think in all areas of your life, will it instantly make you not have chronic illness, not be a trauma survivor, not be struggling with addiction, not come from a family that completely invalidates your existence? No, but it will make it not matter so much. And that to me is what wellness is. I don't know, Amy, what do you got for us? Mm -hmm. What'd you say? It's just a little easier to carry just a little easier to carry and sometimes even put down and say it's okay I can just let it go we talked a lot about catharsis and that's certainly like part of the healing journey right catharsis calling back your missing pieces and then having those rebirth experiences whether they involve cheeseburgers in Disney World or singing your way through horrific pain like you know that the rebirth process is so powerful it's funny at that point uh, one of my coven sisters had come to visit and she walked into the room and was and was struck like she stopped dead in her tracks and her and her mouth was open in a little o and she said i know this is this is probably inappropriate but you are so beautiful right now because mm -hmm. you've let go of so much and you're just embracing being in your body being in your person right now and that's beautiful. And I didn't feel it at the time, of course, because it was definitely not a, a flattering space to be in. But now as a person who is able to embody that, it's so much better that I am at that place. That I had that to begin with and that I can embody that now. That's a perfect place to end. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. Everyone is beautiful, especially when we just let our own light shine and be who we really are with our traumas and our disorders and all of the things, just finding the beauty in all of that. So thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode. This has been a great this has been a great fun. I hope we can do it again sometime, Amy. I always love hanging out with you. Okay. Bye, everybody. Remember, we're all trees in the forest. Nurture each other.